When running a business, your employees can create all kinds of interesting situations, like getting complaints because someone on the team always smells horrible. You better talk to Bambi. With Bambi, get access to your own dedicated HR manager starting at just $99 per month. They're available by phone, email, and real-time chat, so onboarding and terminations run smoothly. Team members reach peak performance, and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations. And with Bambi's HR Autopilot, you'll automate important HR practices like setting policies, training, and feedback. Bambi's U.S.-based personnel are dedicated to your business, giving you access to the HR expertise and personal touch you need. HR managers can easily cost $80,000 per year, but Bambi starts at $99 per month. Schedule your free conversation today to see how much Bambi can take off your plate. Visit Bambi.com slash C-Suite right now. Spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash C-Suite. Bambi.com slash C-Suite. Megan Gibson. The well-being of one person in a family affects the whole family system. This is a supportive community to share research, resources, stories, tips, and life hacks to keep the family brain healthy. Thanks for listening to The Family Brain. I am Megan Gibson, and today I'll be talking with Hillary Wilkinson. Hillary is part of an organization called HealthyScreenHabits.org. You can get tons of resources on their website. And we had a great conversation around teenagers, parenting, and technology. And I talked to her in this episode about how I was a little bit nervous about talking to her because I just was worried that it would feel like judgment, like I'm doing it all wrong. And I didn't feel that way at all with her. I mean, I definitely found that there are places that I can do better in how I manage technology in our family. And she gives some very, very practical tools on how to go about that. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Hillary Wilkinson. Hi, Hillary. Hi. Thank you so much for joining me on The Family Brain. And you are part of an organization called HealthyScreenHabits.org. And I am excited to talk to you, but also a little scared because it makes me think I might have to change some of my behaviors, which is always a little daunting. And I told my kids I was talking to to somebody from your organization this morning, and they were not super enthusiastic about it, which... Yes, that's a a very common response. (laughs) Yeah, I I would think. Well, it's funny because I feel like I have mixed feelings about technology also. I remember when we first moved into our last house, we had somebody coming over to do... um, like wire up our house and all the stuff. And the the side of their truck, it said life is simpler with technology. And I was like, that's funny. I don't feel that way at all. I feel that not at all. (laughs) You know, and I think there's so many ways that technology does help us. Of course. I mean, you and I would not be able to have this conversation right now. Absolutely. but there are a lot of things that make it a little bit tricky. Um, right. But what you're touching on is kind of one of the key components of like our generation of parenting, where we are the first generation of parents to be kind of navigating through these digital waters while parenting and seeing the effects of it. But 
equally important, just as we're the first generation to be moving forward through these digital waters, we are also the last generation that is going to be able to remember the before. Mm. And that we carry with us kind of a tribal knowledge of what it's like to just play in a field and build a fort. Right. And those, those moments that we hold so dear to us that I think we, we feel in our gut this very vested interest in protecting those spaces and those times for our own children. Because you always want for your kids the very best of your own childhood. When you look back, you, when you reflect on your childhood, you think, oh, and I want to recreate that for my kid, you know? Right. Yes. And we're in this digital landscape that we've, we never walked, we never traveled. So, but we do know our physical landscape very well, being children who grew up in that, with our, with our feet firmly on the ground outside, mostly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, it's important to realize the the wealth of knowledge that we have just in that alone. Right. It's, I just, I feel like this is giving me so many thoughts. (laughs) I'm thinking about, right. Well, I'm thinking about even conversations I've had with my parents and I know that this is true for other friends of mine who, where grandparents are like, well, why don't you just do this? And why don't you just, you know, and, and my parents are fantastic. They know it's not easy, but it's, I think it's hard to, um, for some, some, for parents who parented not in this time period to understand how challenging it is because Absolutely. so much of their social development is also happening in this way. So we moved to Austin not too long ago uh-huh. and um, my oldest son, I just feel like a lot of the ways that kids are interacting right now are on devices. And so yes. it can be a, a leap off point. Hopefully it's not the end point, but um, what do you say to people about that, that, that struggle with the, well, this is how kids are connecting now and I don't want them to feel isolated or I don't want them to feel like they're not able to connect with their peers. Right, right. I think it kind of comes down to teaching our kids. For one, we need to really establish good tech etiquette because I'm sure as you've experienced, there are certain things that in text or email, it just doesn't translate well. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of humor just doesn't translate in the texting type format. And I think it's very, very easy to hurt people's feelings Mm -hmm. and to, we need to teach our kids when it's more appropriate to have a conversation, when it's more appropriate to be face to face. If you're getting any of those emotional response feelings with a with a text it's better to shut it down and talk to that person or see that person before you proceed so we kind of need to teach them that like that danger danger warning sign mm-hmm. of, of just you know i mean it goes back to that whole thing of like really monitoring your your internal self of like how are is how are you feeling and Unfortunately, oftentimes when they when kids are first entering the texting realm, they just do a lot of hey, hey, mm-hmm. hi, how you doing? Hi, you know, texting back and forth. And it's like you really need to kind of you know, start teaching a little more like critical awareness of 
is this really value add to your time? (laughs) Well, and it's, it's tricky because we both, we have to straddle this area where we recognize ourselves as being what are called digital immigrants. We have like, we have had to learn the ways of the new technology. Our kids are growing up as digital natives. So they move with a fluency and fluidity through this landscape and talking the language in ways that we, very few adults of our generation are able to model. I mean, I would say it takes somebody nearly involved in the tech industry who's as comfortable with moving through their digital landscape as a kid does today. Right. Well, even sixth graders, all their things are on these devices and Google Classroom and Google Calendars. And I'm like, wait, I don't know how to use that. Oh, completely. It's it's a catch up for me. And it's good in a lot of ways in that I have to catch up so that at least it keeps me in the loop. But I think you're so smart. You're so smart to recognize that, Megan, because one of the things that just as we have digital immigrants and digital natives, the thing you do not want to do for your child is you do not want to to create what's called a digital orphan. And that is a child who has been left to figure it out on their own. Because there are some people who have such pushback to, you know, change and this new technology, and it's just so hard. And I'm so busy. I think so many parents are coming from the place of I'm so busy, and they're in survival mode, really. But, you know, moving forward with careers, I mean, we're in a very busy, and that word just gets so overused, but we're in a very critical mass period of season, I should say, of our lives as far as earning potential and as far as making sure everybody's on a forward path. And then if you're like me, I've got a junior in high school and it's like, oh my gosh, we're looking at colleges and we're, I mean, it's just, you're all in this forward movement. The foot is on the gas all the times. And the last thing you feel like you have time to do is sit down and figure out like this new app that's come up or this new game that's come up that quite frankly, you yourself have no (laughs) organic or vested interest in it. But I can tell you, take the time, Go, there's a wonderful, wonderful resource called commonsensemedia.com. They are a great vetting tool for any app that's out there. And they will give you a breakdown on like, what is this thing? The other thing I recommend people do, which we do in our house, is we establish what I call a cool down period. For example, my son wanted an app on his phone. I I'd always recommend that you put a lock on on kids, um, on kids' phones, so that the, any app purchases or any app acquisition has to come through you. Mm-hmm. So you and we're again, we're helping them learn how to navigate. We're not, we're not, we're not taking over the whole boat. We're just, we're helping them learn. This is how you responsibly do this. Okay. So, like I was saying, with the with the digital cool down period, my son wanted an app. I said, you know what, hang, you know, we're going to wait for me because I know myself and I know it takes me kind of a long time to get mm-hmm. around to things. Yeah. I, I say it's a 21 day period, which that's a really long time. And I, I'm like the meanest mom mm-hmm. in town <laughs> that, that makes this waiting period exist. 
But what it does is it gives me time to download the app, to really play around with it and see, hmm, is this content stuff that I'm okay with coming into my house? Right. And it also teaches responsible consumership for the kids of, you know, just, yes, the app may only be $2.99 or whatever. That's the other thing is it's so difficult when some things are so quote unquote affordable, but Mm -hmm. the cost may be in a very different measure. Right. I mean, just by exposure to content. And so it allows time for the parent to really kind of, yes, you've done your common sense media, you've done your this, but this gives you time to decide for your family what your comfortable with coming into your family home and uh, that cool down period. And quite frankly, it's, it's resulted in some answers that my son really has not been happy about where I've said, no, that's a hard no for me. And, and, but it also fosters good conversation of why, because certainly our older kids are in a place of, you know, you, I think our generation has done a very good job in having a lot of dialogue with our kids. And so, but what it has raised is a lot of questioners, which is a good thing. Oh my gosh. It's critical thinking. <laughs> yes. No, it is a good thing. I have to always remind myself of that. This is a future leader. Look at yes. their strong leadership skills. But in the moment, I'm like, wow, you really know how to think for yourself, don't you? Isn't that yes, adorable? It, yeah. Exactly. I like, I like that. Isn't that adorable? Yes. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> yes. And I always have to remind, I have a boy and a girl. And so it's very interesting to see how their how their brains have matured as we're mm-hmm. coming along and yes and it is one of those things I remind myself on a very frequent basis that what I want to raise is a strong and independent woman mm-hmm. and that means I need to get through this state right. you need to be the receiver <laughs> of all of her practice yeah. yes yeah. yes uh, exactly. now, what about these apps where um where there's content that if you, you say my child is not looking at the content that's that's creepy, but there is creepy content available. What do you say to that kind of scenario? Is that just a conversation that you have that with your child that as long as you're using it for this and not for that? No. For for me personally, okay. that app doesn't pass my vetting process. Okay. If, if it's if not anybody- stuff that I'm that I'm comfortable with them, you know. I mean, because uh, my we we strongly promote the wait until eighth campaign mm-hmm. for kids to be device free until at least eighth grade. And that really goes into brain development and the the tween slash you know, tween slash teenage brain and how their impulse control, their I mean, they have a vi- they have a developing limbic system in their brain, which it's firing really hard. There's a lot of growth hormones in there. And that's why you see the behaviors that you do with the impulse control and the rapid moves, mood swings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mean, it's all, it's, it's kind of nice to know that, oh, there's an organic reason for this. Like I'm, I'm not going crazy. I, this is a thing <laughs> yes. with, with, with kids that age. But, you know, quite frankly, we're, it's the equivalent of uh, when we don't provide this digital instruction and kind of 
for framework for them to move through, we really are in essence handing the 15 year old with the, you know, learner's permit keys to a Ferrari and just telling them make good choices and sending them out on the open road. And it's, it's uh, that's where kids are really getting into trouble. The other thing that I want to bring up when you were talking about dealing with uh maybe grandparents, you know, our parents who mm-hmm. are still very much involved in our children's lives is I think, uh, so I do a lot of parent education and I'm also moving into a realm of doing grandparent education, which is fascinating mm-hmm. because our our parents have, the, I mean, just a, the, the biggest, uh, I would say, commodity that they have as these aging boomers and, you know, move up, the biggest commodity they have other than, I mean, that certainly they've got tons of life experience and they've got all of this great stuff, but the wonderful thing that they have in that season of their life is time. So I really encourage spending time with grandparents if that's if that's something that's available to you, our families are spread out so much now, it's sometimes you have to get very creative with making that happen. But when that happens, a lot of times, what our children will ask is, oh, grandma, can I play on your iPad? Can I do all of this? And the grandparents do not have any of the filters in place. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing a lot of early accidental porn exposure. We're seeing creepy content exposure, all of that stuff happening within grandparents' homes. And of course, these grandparents are I mean, A, they, they either don't know or it causes major family strife. So in teaching the grandparents just how to install a few things to give a basic layer of insulation as far as filtering coming in and uh, devices that they're handing their grandchildren, you can really you can really, that's an important tool for them to have. So what would be a few of those tools? Like what would be a few things that you would say if you were just starting out and trying to be more aware of what's happening, what would, what would you recommend for first steps? Okay. So for first steps on, on the uh, Apple devices, you can go into screen time. It's in your settings. You're going to go into screen time and you can manage, I mean, you can manage nearly anything. You can you can give yourself a stop time where you where you put your device to sleep. There's always an override function, but what these stop times and these time limits, you can you can give time limits to specific apps. For example, if you have somebody who enjoys, you know, scrolling Instagram or like myself or, or, uh, you know, hitting the YouTube or anything like that, you can set, like I said, time limits and it gives you a, uh, it gives you what's called a stopping cue. And stopping cues are something that happen in our natural world that have been removed from the technological uh, platforms. A stopping cue, an easy one that everyone gets is the sunset. So the sun sets, the world goes dark. We prepare for our nighttime activities. Um, when, even when you're reading a book, 
you know, chapters serve as stopping cues where you're reading your book, you get to the end of the chapter and it's time to either put it away, move on to a new activity, or at least it just gives you a moment to take a breath and think, do I really, do I have enough time to read this next chapter, et cetera. But in our technological world, we live in this, you know, digital landscape of never ending scrolling and never ending just opportunities for more little hits and feeds that perk us up and hence the sleep deprivation issues. But, um, it's, it's, that's one nice thing that I really appreciate about the screen time time limits is it does set it so that you have stopping cues in there. Right. So your grandparent sorts and yourself can go in and manage that on your, on your Apple devices, on the Android devices. It's, oh man, I'm sorry, Megan. I'm blanking and you're gonna that's okay I actually have another question about the the um the limits what what is what in terms of the brain research that you have what what are reasonable limits like what is just overkill Okay, so there's very interesting data out there that I think was uh, I believe Adam Alter who's the uh, author of Irresistible he went through and found there's also so Adam Alter's research as well as Tristan Harris which is the Center for Humane Tech the Center for Humane Tech is a fabulous website to Mm. go visit gives you all kinds of data and research and Tristan Harris is an ex Google ethicist who was really an instrumental I'm going to use the word whistleblower as okay as Silicon Valley Persuasion Labs and their, their, <laughs> their absolute hacking of the human brain of finding out, oh, dopamine. Like when we do this, it causes a dopamine release. And um, dopamine is a neurotransmitter that we all possess. Neurotransmitters are chemicals within our brain that act as kind of delivery devices. And dopamine is the transmitter that is in charge of um, like craving and it's um, anticipation. So dopamine is really, truly kind of the neurotransmitter. It it can be a great thing in that it also leads to attention and focus, but it also strongly holds hands with addiction. Hmm. Okay. And just like we talked about those, those digital stopping cues, there is... I mean, clear correlation between dopamine and what they call variable response rewards, which variable response rewards happen when you pick up your cell phone, you get a notification, you Mm. pick it up. And sometimes it's something that's really fun. Like, oh, Megan Gibson contacted me and wants me to be on her podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's like, and that's like a, ooh, that's, I get to be on the family brain. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's a real feel good dopamine hit. And sometimes it's, you know, my library telling me I have overdue books. <laughs> right, okay. Right. But that variable system of rewards is the best way to have to link the dopamine release with what with what you um, that anticipatory set type of a thing, and interestingly, the other area that uses 
that that same delivery method of variable of variable rewards is uh, the the gambling industry with mm-hmm. slot machines. So you pull that lever, sometimes you get nothing. You pull that lever, you could get a million dollars. See how? And so they, uh, Tristan Harris has actually equated the smartphone to being the world's tiniest slot machine riding around in your pocket. No goodness. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. It oh, is the, fascinating. The it brain, is. Yeah, the brain science behind it is just uh, it's. It's amazing because as this technological world was like exploding and blooming and doing all of these, you know, the tech platform was going and going and going, it was making equal advances in our medical fields and in our, you know, transportation and navigation and all these amazing areas that technology is just, it has 100% improved our lives. There is no doubt in my mind when I look at the exciting things in science and the exciting things that we are exploring now. But it just gets tricky when you're coming to personal devices because, you know, the basis of that tech platform did not occur with child development in mind. Mm -hmm. It was, these were never intended to be toys of childhood. And because they've, they're so easy to entertain and distract, they have become a quote unquote tool of parenting. And it's just a matter of being very aware of what you're doing, why you're doing and how you're managing that time. Hmm. I need to do some thinking, I think. (laughs) Well, no, I mean, in in a good way. I mean, what's interesting because I think that it has become in my home, sometimes it's a relaxation tool, I guess. And I think of it as similar to when I used to come home from school and I wanted to watch a little TV. But I think you're right in that it can be this bottomless pit where all of a sudden you're like, wait, how long have you been doing that for? Right. You know, and it's just in my home growing up when I was watching the TV, it was in the middle of everything. So everybody knew kind of what I was doing. It wasn't like this little thing you could take off to some right. other little part of the house and disappear. Right. Um, or somebody else needed to watch the TV. You know, right. I mean, it was, you Absolutely. had to give it up. And, and your TV show ended. Right. <laughs> yes, that is true. You too. Your TV show. Maybe you came home and watched a little Tom and Jerry or maybe you're in right. the house club, but those were half hour shows. Yes. Now we've got season one. Yes. <laughs> now, that, that's a really, so I, I I'm, I I love that you're already saying, hmm, now I need to do some thinking. The thing that I would love to refer you and your listeners to is on our website, which is healthyscreenhabits.org. We have a free downloadable tool called a family tech plan. And it is kind of a conversation starter. That's what I refer to it as. It just, it's a conversation guider as you go through things and you talk about like, well, gosh, what are going to be our tech free places in our homes? Like, and for one of the things that I feel very strongly about, and this is based upon plenty of research, we have social workers in our board, and I'm active within the education community, is keeping the tech out of the bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Many people are finding, you know, I, I just, it, they don't think to pull the 
pull the phones or the devices or even the Kindles, um, after, you know, they, they, the kids are being sent to bed with devices because they're using them as reading tools. Well, I can tell you the reading lasts for a while, but then, you know, the devices are intentionally designed and the software is designed with intention to be very, very difficult to put down. Mm. And we are asking children to do things that they simply may not be physically able to at this point, which is to self-regulate. And when we look at that developing brain, we're asking them, I mean, it's like asking a two-year-old to run a mile, Mm. you know? I mean, we're asking them to do things that they simply physically may not be able to do. So we highly encourage developing tech-free places and tech-free times within your home. So let me explain the difference between a tech-free place and a tech-free time. A tech-free place is like no screens in bedrooms, no screens in bathrooms. We, you know, avoiding intimate areas because it can get all too creative very quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. We recommend screens being kept in more communal use places, whether it's your family room or your, I mean, we still, we're we're very archaic at my house. We still have a, you know, a computer that plugs into a wall (laughs) as well as laptops. But our rule is that if you're on a laptop or if you need to use the computer, it's right in the middle of the kitchen. Mm -hmm. It is absolutely not the Pottery Barn kitchen that I wanted, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot like, a, it's a lot like putting in that pool fence when they're, when they're toddlers, you look out in your backyard and you, the ugliest thing you're looking at is that pool fence. Yet it's the most gorgeous thing you've ever seen when you realize that that's, what's keeping your child safe. Yes. So we, we, you know, it's all trade-offs, isn't it? We never dreamed of driving a minivan either, but yet here we are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the difference between a tech-free place versus is a tech-free time is a tech-free time establishes like we don't use screens at mealtimes. Okay. And so what that means, because, you know, kids are very literal in their setup. And if we say we don't use screens at the kitchen table, I guarantee you first place you go, that is not the kitchen table, yet you're still eating a meal. They're, they're going to, they're, I mean, they're, they're, as we right. just established, they're very good negotiators. Yes, they because want to find we, all the holes in the arguments. Exactly. Yeah. But if you have a tech-free time, then that kind of transcends that geographical location. And it's also like one of the great things that I think our generation has done is I can't think of a kid today who gets into a car and doesn't automatically buckle their seatbelt. And even even to back a car up in the driveway, my son will get in, buckle his seatbelt, you know? I mean, and that is absolutely something that we have taught and instilled. And for him to drive, my, my son is 16, for him to drive without a seatbelt on feels distinctly uncomfortable. And I want to kind of establish these times where for them to whip out a phone during this interaction or this time zone has that same feeling of distinct uncomfortability of like, oh, this doesn't feel right that I'm doing this. Right. Well, and as you're talking, I'm thinking, 
you know, so many of the topics, even not related to tech, we talk about parents being the the most important guide in this. And guess who constantly has their phone attached to them? Me, you know, and same with my husband, you know, just because there's so much expectation for everything that we get done on our phones. But I think that that's something that I think we can model better is that we're putting our things away too. It's not just a rule for the children. It's a rule for the family. You are so smart to recognize that where, yes, the modeling of the behavior is your best teacher. It really, truly is. And that's the great part about the family tech plan is it being a kind of a conversational springboard is this is something that your whole family is sitting down and talking about. It's very democratic in its approach, but yet, I mean, make no mistake, you are 100%, you know, the driver of this car. (laughs) So the parents still remain very much in control of of ultimate say, ultimate decision, et cetera. But it's, um, yeah, the modeling of the behavior is key, which gets very, very difficult when we have things like paychecks attached to our phone. Like if we, if you're say a person who is a consultant or a contractor, and if you don't get that call, it's going to go to the next bid. And I, I mean, that may be something that you foster into that conversation with your children of, okay, so I'm going to keep my phone out because I'm working on this contract right now, but be transparent with your reasoning mm-hmm. of, of why, why this day is different or why this applies. You, I mean, and, and it's, it's also, I mean, it's also a good chance to really evaluate whether, I mean, whether you want, it's a, it's a good chance to evaluate what, where your priorities are at. Right. And do you need to put some boundaries around how you're doing things? Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, it's all, it's all really big grown up thinking. It is. Yeah. But I still remember the first time I went away with my husband, we didn't have kids yet. And he had a cell phone with him from work. And I was like, what is that thing? And it's just, and now it's just so assumed that you, everywhere you go, you're accessible. And that it, I mean, there's no more like nine to five work day. I mean, not that there ever was in a lot of cases, but um, it's just on. Yeah. Even vacations, vacations, Mm -hmm. employees are still expected. And that gets into this whole like cultural shift and hopefully paradigm shift where there's, um, I'm trying to remember the country, I believe it's a European country that was adopting a policy that I loved to truly give, I mean, because we, you know, the more we find out about our mental health, the more we recognize the the need to unplug and really kind of, you know, regain your foundation and fill yourself up in other ways is incredibly important. And this country has a policy or or it's a a company. I can't remember where it is. Shoot. I wish I could, I wish I could pull it up. But if you call, if you call a person who is on vacation, the voicemail recording that you get is, you know, this, and the, the generated email response is, this person is on vacation. If you leave an email to this, to this address, it will be deleted. 
gosh. I mean, it is completely awesome. Yes. It's so that person, when they come back from vacation, you know, that feeling where you come back and it's like, oh boy, now you got to check the email box and it's got like 514 emails in it. And you're already, it's like, you've never been gone. You're already just feel like, oh, was that worth it? And yes, it's worth it. But I just, I love that model. And I, I mean, I don't know how realistic it is, but it's certainly exciting to think about it being on the horizon. Right. Well, and at, at the very least, it does challenge that paradigm of like, oh, we're just going to expect that you you figure it all out as soon as you get back to work. Yes. Uh, one of the things I was looking at on your website was just, it was talking about some different topics that, um, that you guys address. And one of them is pornography. What do you guys teach people or what is the, the research on how to manage that in those conversations around um, managing the the proliferation of pornography that is accessible to people in general. Yes. Okay. So let me be very clear in that this is not a moralistic stand against pornography. We're We're not taking that as the argument. The, is, the main issue to be aware of with pornographic exposure is the, the healthy development of sexuality and the, uh, the, the age of first exposure, okay? So what, st- what data is showing currently the rate of... of the, the, the age of current exposure, it's crept down and down and down. And currently it's between ages eight and 11 is there will be their first exposure. Mm-hmm. It, I can guarantee you, it is not a matter of if it is when. Right. So I was searching because, something with my son years ago and it was like, we were looking up something about a snake. And up comes oh. all this stuff, you know, and oh, I was yes. doing it with him. And oh, it just, yes. it was just very surprising. Oh, yes. <laughs> surprising and horrifying. Yes. And the kids don't understand your reaction. So mm-hmm. in a way that makes it a little more scintillating and like tantalizing to mm-hmm. like, let me go back and look at that. And so, and that's, of course, it kind of triggers this, you know, inappropriate exposure at, at like an at a younger age than even sexuality is truly developing at that point. And so it really goes down a slippery path of quickly having that, having that be their model for intimate relationships, which is very alarming when you consider that most pornographic content deals with degradation of women Mm -hmm. and certainly not a loving intimate relationship that you would wish your child would have at a when they're ready to embark on that the the also the key thing to understand about the early exposure to pornography is that we as a species are are a socially learning uh type. We're a socially learning species. And we learn by watching and doing. So the rate of child-on-child sex abuse is soaring. Hmm. It is an un... It is, I mean, it, it is not being talked about hugely, but it is, I mean, it is unbelievable 
the numbers when you start looking up child on child sex abuse and anecdotally the pediatricians when you start talking to pediatricians they will absolutely confirm that for you now it also that kind of skews the way that they're relating to kids and then it also brings about levels of shame and secrecy within family units and it leads to feelings of isolation Mm-hmm. And this, it just starts holding hands real quick with all the things uh, that start factoring into those soaring rates of anxiety and depression mm-hmm. and horribly, horrifically teen suicide. Mm-hmm. And those rates are, are, are unprecedented right now. So what we recommend as far as talking to your children about, uh, about, early exposure to pornography. Child developmental theorists talk about if the, the, you want to approach tricky subjects with like a three-year lead time, okay? Mm -hmm. So you know that if the average rate of accidental exposure is currently eight to 11, you need to start having those conversations at a developmentally appropriate level by age like five, Mm -hmm. okay? And it needs to be an ongoing discussion. We talk about our kids about, we talk to our children about their growing bodies, about their changing responsibilities, about, you know, I mean, just as we kind of up their chore load and up their responsibility level within the home, it's like, this is just simply part of that conversation. All of the conversations surrounding tech need to be just frequent and small. It's like, I, I equate it to staying hydrated. Like you want to just take lots of little sips Mm -hmm. along your day and along your way. It's far better to do that, to create, you know, good hydration in your body rather than to drink a gallon of water on Wednesday and think that you're done. Right. So that's, that is really key. Now, a really great resource for um, child pornography protection is Protect Young Minds. Okay. And um, that's a non-affiliate link to us. I just really, I, I really appreciate what they're doing. If you have a, a, fam, a family member who is already struggling with porn addiction within your house, know that you are not alone. <laughs> and a really, really great resource for that for family members, as well as the person who is struggling with their porn addiction is a website called fightthenewdrug.com. Hmm. Okay. And it's, yeah, it's worth exploring. It's a very real part of our digital landscape. Have you heard of this? It's a kid's book. It's called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures. Yes. That was written by Kristen Jensen. Okay. She's the, she's the founder of Protect Young Minds. Oh, okay. I yeah. have it. I need to dig it out. Yeah. <laughs> and I love good pictures, bad pictures, mm-hmm. because it gives kids an action plan as mm-hmm. to what to do. Right. And she also wrote a younger version of Good Pictures, Bad Pictures Junior. So oh, you okay. have like a more of a preschool age one. And then it's familiar content as you move forward. Right. And the thing that I love about starting tricky conversations with um, with children, oh, I love using a storybook as a start because it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then you can put it away. Right. And if the conversation starts veering in different ways or you're just, it's getting into zones that you're thinking, I'm, 
I'm really not ready for this today. Yes. You can close the book, right? Or if they're not, you know, it's, it's because we have one book called, um, it's so amazing. It's about teaching kids about puberty and sex. And we have these two little characters in there that basically are kids reactions to this kind of information. One, one of the characters is like, tell me more, tell me more. And then the other character is like covering their eyes and their ears and (laughs) make it stop, make it stop. And it always seems like it's sort of a combination of the two. They want to know, they don't want to know. And you know, it's sort of like giving them the option to say, okay, enough for today. Yeah. We're going to come back to it, but that's Right. And it gives them a little, it gives them a little bit of control over that. Mm -hmm. So that's always better, always better to have their fingerprints on what, you know, the conversation and the the rules is always better to have them involved in it. So I know this is more of a, uh, uh, time sensitive question, but what are some of the apps that you're hearing about right now that are sort of shaking up everybody's, I mean, it seems like we get our hands wrapped around one, one situation and then the new thing. Absolutely. What do you see as being sort of the, the things that people are struggling with right now in terms of apps or resources? Snapchat. 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 Okay. Snapchat's the number one I would say cause of like the teen compare and despair phenomena. And you know what? I'm labeling it teen. It is not teen. I mean, I fall into compare and despair when I'm left long enough on my own on Facebook or Mm -hmm. Instagram. um, You know, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at it long enough and thinking like, well, why? why My Thanksgiving didn't look like that. Exactly. I I have vacation in the Seychelles. Right, right. (laughs) My thighs are never going to look like that. Right, yes. I mean, so the compare and despair phenomena, I think, interestingly, women fall into that way more than men. And that has to do with a really a really interesting thing that's called social competencies, which is in like when we're looking at our kids develop, that is what becomes their main like focus and developmental stage, particularly within middle school, which is why those, why it's so important to make sure that you are providing a healthy basis for their technology mm-hmm. is uh, the social competencies, which gender trend and gender trends toward girls being more uh, like their social competency looks like being well-liked, having good style, having lots of friends, you know, all the stuff that you, that you can kind of remember as yourself coming up through middle school. And if you struggled at all with it, you re- you re- people, middle school hits a core, a core point in most people where they either remember it as being a very difficult time in their life or a not so difficult time in Mm -hmm. their life. And so if they were, it was not so difficult for them, they probably had mastered a lot of those social competencies. Now on the, on the boy side of those social competencies, it looks like mastery of a skill. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you take, or like, like being able to complete tasks very well. So if you take that knowledge of those social competencies and apply it to our digital world, what that looks like for girls is social media. 
and mm. number of likes and mm. number of comments. And you see girls obsessively checking posts and they'll have a number in mind where if they don't hit that number of likes on a certain post, then they'll take it down because they mm. don't, you know, they're trying to fit a formula. And for boys- God, it's, it's exhausting. It's exhausting oh, enough just to be a girl at that age, nevertheless having to deal with that stuff. I am in, and Awful. you know what? I don't know whether you have boys or girls, but that you remember that and that you know that mm-hmm. already makes you such a compassionate parent. Mm. <laughs> because uh, like I said, I think we all live in this too busy world of us running and putting the gas pedal all the way down Mm -hmm. that a lot of times we forget. We forget how hard these ages and stages were to get through ourselves. Now they've just kind of like had this lasagna approach of the social stressors that we remember plus modern social stressors plus the tech, their digital world, Mm -hmm. et cetera. What's your take on this whole visco girl thing? Oh, I think, well, I think it's a little bit of a riot because I very definitely live with one. Okay. Okay. (laughs) I just, at first I didn't even understand it conceptually. For those who are listening who don't know what a visco girl is, can you describe in general what the concept is? So where the visco girls, um, like uh, nomenclature, (laughs) the the word visco comes from an app that stands for V, it's V-C-S-O and it's pronounced visco, like disco. Okay. (laughs) But with a V. And this is a social media app that provides, it's a, it's a um, photo sharing app that has filters that provide a very like beachy, carefree vibe. Think of like your Colby Calais, (laughs) you know, your Malibu uh, kind of just, you know, hang loose and let go kind of look. And the Visco Girls I mean, I just cracked up. One of the things we do on Healthy Screen Habits, if you follow us on Instagram at Healthy Screen Habits, is every Wednesday we do a post called Words on Wednesday. And Visco Girls was was a very recent post. And the thing that I loved was the... it made it so recognizable to me when you look up Visco Girls and they tar- talk about starter packs, which it's checkered checkered vans, mm-hmm. Pura Vida bracelets, um, oversized t-shirts with very short shorts, uh, scrunchies on their wrist, hydro flask bottles covered in stickers. And it's, I mean, it's a very definite kind of a vibe type thing. What I think is very interesting is the girls who are in my daughter's age range that definitely have that aesthetic of what I would call a visco girl. If they have that aesthetic going, they do not want to be called one. I mean, very interesting. Okay. I think nobody likes to be labeled. Every I think they they want to feel that individuality and they want to feel all of that, but yet they don't necessarily recognize that they're dressing in uniform. Yeah, so. it kind of reminds me of back in the day that they had the Valley Girl thing, like one hundred me with a spoon or gag me with a spoon, and like Absolutely. just things that you could say and things that people would wear and a and certain like, look that yes. was there and the, and the hair. Yeah. Yes, I mean because the Visco Girl hair is the long like mermaidy type curls and like I said looking as though you haven't a care in the world which is absolutely 
20 hours after you got ready. Yeah. The amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. Yes. Yes. So it's interesting. interesting. Yeah. Yeah, The girls that are chasing the Visco girl aesthetic don't, you know, uh, I I don't have a problem with the label. The girls that are already in that aesthetic do not want to be labeled. So it's very interesting. Yes. It's a very interesting phenomenon. I agree. I mean, and what's crazy is that it can be so spread so quickly. So like the Valley Girl thing, I mean, I think there was probably a couple of movies that came out and people were like, ooh, but with this, I mean, there's already dads doing parodies of Visco Girls and, you know, I mean, it just took off and it's it's just interesting. It's interesting. It just seems like, I mean, we're talking and you and I are having this conversation in late September and it seems as though it's been since back to school time which was like early September, late right. August. And now all yeah. of a sudden, and all over the country, at first I thought it might just be here in, well, in Texas. Well, that's the thing that blew me away. Right. Was like, it's like a ubiquitous thing that yes. has, ha- yeah, like a, a ubiquitous style. And I think it's like, it's so interesting, just like the, I don't know what they call like festival wear, like the Coachella oh, vibe yes. out uh-huh. here. Like I, because I live in Southern California, I mean, Coachella literally is like, you know, I mean, three hours with traffic from me. I thought the festival wear was something that was only happening out here. But then I like go back East and it's like, they've got all this festival wear. And I'm like, oh, this is so interesting to me. It's really interesting. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so let's go back to okay, the Yes, the thank boys. you for keeping me on track. I no, I'm really <laughs> enjoying this. I really enjoy talking. I know, I know. <laughs> so, what social competency looks like for boys in a digital landscape is gaming, video gaming. It's the leveling up or the getting new skins mm-hmm. in Fortnite land, you know, or the gaining of tokens. So you can see, but with boys, it's a very, their skill acquisition is incredibly important to them in that social competency. Mm-hmm. So it's just another lens through which to view your developing teenage son. And it makes it, I mean, I think whenever we can adopt a new lens, whenever we can see, oh, this has an organic, you know, start or something, it gives us a layer of patience and compassion to kind of... A, recognize that we're not going crazy in our own adult brains Mm -hmm. (laughs) if this is a thing. But B, like, I mean, now, now I understand why using the phrasing to my son, if he is in a game, saying find a good stopping spot is much better than saying turn it off now. Mm -hmm. Because... There's, I mean, if he, tr- if he has to turn it off now, it will mean the loss of all of that social competency gain, you know, I mean, because the, the, the games typically build upon each other. So it will, it will have that loss that he's been working so hard right. for the past half hour, however long your tech time, you know, limit is. Right. Well, it's almost like they can sort of like you were saying before about the stopping point, you know, it just sort of gives their brain a chance to wrap up all those loose ends. Yes. I mean, I have noticed a huge difference if we yell up and say, you know, we're going to have dinner soon. You have about 10 minutes, 15 minutes, you know, like figure out a time within that. And then it's on them to figure out how to, how to fix it or get it done. Yes. Um, No, it's, it's a very steep learning curve. I'll tell you that much. And it's, I think 
it's been a challenge too, just even with my husband of making sure we're on the same page, you know, cause I might see things and do things a certain way and just making sure we're sharing information that we're realizing with the kids and not Could just not um, agree with you more. And, and again, tricky. I just like, that's why I have to steer you back to the family tech plan. <laughs> yes. No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Like, and it's good for all like of us. I'm plugging it incessantly, but I mean, no, I really I'm excited. Feel- think it's quite a valuable tool and don't try and do it all at once. I mean, one step, like maybe one step an evening, you know, I mean, it's, these conversations are important enough that we owe it to our children to invest the time. For sure. And it's funny because I've enjoyed this so much and I was a little bit nervous about it. I was kind of like, Oh, I don't want to hear all this stuff I have to do and it's going to be too much. And I'm going to feel like I've done all kinds of things that are wrong. And this is actually more hopeful to me of like, you know, it's not, we're not going to have this go away, but there are things you can do and there are steps you can take Absolutely. to help it feel more healthy. Absolutely. And ourselves included. Yeah. I equate our digital health with nutrition all mm. the time where, you know, we have, you know, I mean, we, we have to teach a balanced diet of food to maintain our healthy bodies. And yes, sometimes we have what I call sometimes food. My husband assures me that nobody else knows that phrase. So what other people call junk food, I call sometimes food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sometimes we have Doritos in the lunch and sometimes we have, but I don't, we're not making a lunch out of a bag of Doritos. Right. Or maybe I, maybe I shouldn't use, maybe I shouldn't be brand specific. Outside. We aren't making well, Doritos are so delicious that yes. it's a good example. I think. I mean, okay. That's something okay. that most it, people enjoy. I was going to yeah. say it's my uh, personal, uh, you know, yes. <laughs> my, my personal sometimes food of choice. Good decisions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, and so that is when you want to when you when you're trying to talk to kids of different ages. You know, you can talk to your teenagers about digital nutrition, and just in using that phrase, they certainly will understand understand that about making good, healthy choices for our brains, just like we make good, healthy choices for our bodies. Okay. And I think it's, you know, more and more we're, we're linking the, the brain body connection. So it's important to say, I mean, we're making good, healthy digital choices for our brains and bodies, because certainly our digital choices have led to organic physical problems that we're seeing, not just with the sedentary lifestyle that tends to happen with it, but also with what they call text neck, you know, where everybody's sitting with their head forward and chiropractors and osteopaths are seeing a huge surge in neck related Mm -hmm. injuries and repeat use. And they've dealt with and hand hand doctors forever have been dealing with text thumb and, you know, wrist placement. We've come a long way with our ergonomics and office work, but not necessarily in the personal device right. use. So yeah. it's, I think it is important to, to, we're teaching good digital health for our brain and body. So, but like I, like I said, with the, uh, with the kids, when you talk to them, the teens, you can use that phrase, digital nutrition and the it's implied. Okay. With littler guys, like I'll do uh, presentations to say young Girl Scout troops, like, like daisies and brownies. And the, what, what I start out with doing is we start by doing a food sort to make sure that we're all on the page of understanding that some things we know are nutrient dense mm-hmm. foods 
you know, and some things are more of an empty calorie type food. Right. And so, you know, some are a sometimes food, some are like a celebration food, and some are, you know, something that you sh- really should be incorporating regularly, like your fruits and vegetables and proteins. You, right. you really need those to support yourself. So, and then we move that, we transition carefully from that, from that physical food nutrition model right into a digital nutrition model where we start look at talking about apps and it is amazing i mean i'm look i'm talking to preliterate children and they can look at icons and i mean they may not know their whole alphabet but they sure know that netflix that youtube that spotify yeah. that you know just from the from the little app icon and so we talk about it you know we talk about well youtube for me I always say, YouTube's kind of like pizza <laughs> for me. You know, you have a pizza, you have a slice of pizza with a salad and maybe, you know, or carrot sticks and some fruit. I'm like, that's a meal. I get that. You know, I don't have a problem with that if that's, you know, what your, how your family eats a, a Friday night pizza night or whatever. I said, and YouTube, you know, I mean, my husband, figured out how to fix our entire sprinkler system by watching that's YouTube. A, that's tutorial. the only reason I ever use it. Like how yes. to open this stroller that I can't seem to open or, <laughs> you know, like totally all the basic functional things. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I mean, for the, using YouTube for that use, it's a, a, it's a very nutritional use of it. Now, you know, if you're going to sit down and decide that pizza is the only component of the meal that you're eating and you eat it for five nights in a row, you're probably going to start not feeling very good. You're probably going to start feeling a little sluggish. You might get a little brain fog going on. It's, you know, all of those things. Just like if you sit in front of YouTube for two and a half hours and watch, you know, Funny cat videos. I was just thinking the same thing. I mean, yeah. No, it's a good, it's a good, I think it's good to give kids those tools to think more critically about it and to sort of start to make the choices for themselves because we can put all these parameters around what they're going to do. But as they grow and age, they're going to start doing it for themselves. And it's good to give them the information about why. You know, not just, it's just here and that's all we're doing. No, and Um, our children are growing up in such an information dense age that many of the rules that we established have to have this foundation of convince me. You know, and it's like that there, it's not going to mean much to them. It's simply the age that they're growing up in is this information laden age where if you don't have something to back up your why, good luck with the upholding of it because it's going to seem arbitrary and it will not. Just like we need more things to do to to occupy our time, like we're just doing this just for fun, just to yeah. mess with you. Yeah. Oh sure. Yeah. Oh sure. Absolutely. Because oh, you had nothing gosh. else to do. <laughs> uh, well, I have loved talking to you. I'm oh, wondering if there's this anything. I feel like we'd be friends. I think so too. <laughs> Maybe I'll find you on Facebook. Um, I. Uh, is there anything that you're really hoping you would be able to talk to me about that you didn't get a chance to say? You know, yeah, the one thing that I would really like to talk about is the importance of boredom Mm. (laughs) and the 
The, the great thing about boredom is that boredom is, Robert Persick said it best. He was an American, uh, blanking on the word, hang on, philosopher. Mm -hmm. He was an American philosopher early on, Robert Persick, and he said it best. Boredom is the birthplace of creativity. Mm. And if you allow your child time to be bored, they will not only discover so much about them, you're actually helping them to build this kind of reservoir of self. And within that reservoir exists the knowledge of how to self-soothe. And I'm going to use myself as an example. I grew up in a very rural area. I spent a lot of time climbing trees outside with my dog. I grew up in a house where TV, total like California, 1970s, we had no TV. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we had no cable. I thought that was bad. No, I'm just <laughs> yeah, no, we weren't allowed to watch TV. I uh -huh. mean, as a result, I can remember very specifically the events that I did watch on TV. Like mm -hmm. I remember clearly like the launch of the space shuttle and, yeah. you know, very historic moments that were when the TV got hauled out and, and also Monday night football, because that was what my dad watched. But anyways. <laughs> Um, but so as an adult, when I am feeling overly stressed or anxious, my absolute go-to for one, I would not know myself without a dog. Like I know that about me. And mm -hmm. even in getting married, it was one of those things where it's like, you need to know that, you know, Pets are part of the equation here for me. This is, <laughs> this is non-negotiable. So, but I knew that very well about myself. If I'm having a bad day, my reset button is to go out and walk with my dog in nature. And I know that about myself, okay? The other thing I know about myself is if I am having a period of time where I'm feeling lonely or feeling kind of down, I know the best turnaround for that for me is to start booking some like Starbucks dates with friends, mm -hmm. get, getting stuff on the calendar, getting something that I can look forward to will help me get out of that kind of funk zone. Okay. But I only know that because I have this vast reservoir of self. And it comes in many different ways. It comes through physical activity. It comes through nature. It comes through physical touch. It comes through speaking. It kind of reminds me of those, um, if you've ever read the book, The Five Love Languages, mm -hmm. it's, um, it very much speaks to that, that area where you have to know yourself well in order to know how to self-soothe. Now, what technology, what our handheld devices give us is this, I mean, immediate gratification of distraction. Mm -hmm. And while although the distraction takes away the immediate discomfort of whatever you're feeling, it doesn't really provide fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So bringing it back to that digital nutrition analogy, it's like being hungry and eating a piece of candy. Mm -hmm. I mean, that candy will, I mean, the sh your blood sugar will rise, you will get filled up, but you're going to 
crash most likely afterwards i mean on a physiological level you and it'll leave you feeling a little worse than before right so we do our children a huge disservice in not allowing those times of boredom for self exploration of whatever they are finding out maybe it's maybe your child loves to paint mm-hmm. maybe they uh, you know if they're not really an outdoorsy sort and maybe i mean if you've got i know with my son like legos were a huge i mean just I, I can't, when I say the word time suck, it sounds, has a negative connotation, which I don't mean that, but he would just get lost yes. in his Legos. Lost and, in the best possible way. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It's that, it's that learning mode that's called flow. Mm-hmm. where you're 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 involved in your creative mind and your analytical mind and it's just i think everyone knows that feeling of being in flow mm-hmm. but our kids are not being given that time to explore what it is that that builds that personal reservoir and so as a result as they enter their young adulthood or late you know teen years they don't have the tools to be able to help themselves. They're turning towards the technology when in actuality, it may be the technology that's causing the greatest place of distress for them, but they don't recognize it as causing distress because now they're also thinking of it as a Mm self-soother. So they may be, you know, spiraling into that compare and despair, or they may be a victim of cyberbullying, or they may be, and that thing that they've turned to for comfort is now also the thing of greatest pain. So, mm-hmm. so at what, I mean, you, we are, we are robbing them of tools for life. So, I mean, it's, it's an important part to remember right? the importance of boredom. <laughs> no, I love that. I know. I've been trying to say like, when my kids are like, I'm bored. I'm like, good. Oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> Even at that, all the time. Yeah, if you have heard the words "I'm bored" even once this weekend, know uh-huh. that you have succeeded. hundred oh, percent. Right. I'm like, do you know how often I was bored? I mean, I think that's just how it almost always was. Although, yeah, um, I was going to into another a, tangent, but sure, I, sure. No, there's a local family therapist. Her name is Betty uh, in in the Southern California area. I want to give her full credit. Her name is Betty Alcazian from Balanced Parenting, and she has a phrase that I just love. And that's when, when your child says, I'm bored, the best response is great. Now you have a chance to create something. Oh, I love that. That's great. Oh, I I know. I actually wrote that down. I kind of want to get that to put in our kitchen. Boredom is the birthplace of creativity. And I'll just, when they say that, I'll just point to the sign. Yep. Yep. Uh, (laughs) Great. Now you have a chance to create something. And for some reason, it really truly does help them with that transition. Mm -hmm. It puts them in that kind of, less of that like loss framework of there's nothing to do to, ooh, there's something to do. I just have to discover it. Right. Well, this conversation has been so uplifting and encouraging. No, it really has. And I think that that's, if I was feeling that way, I'm guessing I'm not the only person who gets daunted by, you know, thinking about how do I 
manage technology because it can just feel so overwhelming and like you're just up against more thing we have to learn. (laughs) But I think that a lot of the things you were talking about are just things that we can integrate into our life. It doesn't, it's not a, yes, that's, you know, a course I have to take or a, you know, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that integration of small steps and small places. And next thing you know, it's like, you've got your kid back. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to start working on it. Um, I have to get going. My kids have early release today, so I have to go pick them up at school, but I have loved talking to you. And I'm just, can you just tell me all the places where people can go to learn more about your organization? Our website is www.healthyscreenhabits.org. You can follow us at Instagram at Healthy Screen Habits or on Facebook at Healthy Screen Habits. Fantastic. Well. well, I'm going to go sign up for all of those things. And I love talking to you. And Thank you. We do um, parent education talks. I'll come speak at schools. I've got a fantastic presentation on the family tech plan that I kind of talk people through at first. And we'd love to come travel, meet anyone who would like for us to come speak at your mom's group, church group, school group, community-based anything. Fantastic. Well, I'm so excited to know about this as a resource and I loved talking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Megan. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Family Brain. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Hillary Wilkinson from HealthyScreenHabits.org. And she gave me so much to think about in terms of how I manage technology in our family and what our family plan is or our lack of family plan is probably more the case. I hope you share this with someone that you know, if they're going through this kind of process of just trying to figure out how to integrate technology into family life and make sure there's a healthy balance. And if you get a chance, I would love it if you would rate and make a review on iTunes that helps people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.